please go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. As we continue in our sermon series entitled, A Call Church in a Post, or as it may be, a Not-So-Post-Pandemic World, we are considering our second and our third values together this morning. Since needing to cancel last week's gathering, we're combining both the call to love one another and the call to proclaim the gospel to each other here into one message, which actually works pretty well because they are tied very closely together. So let's begin today by reading Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Treasure Island, or National Treasure, or Pirates of the Caribbean, or even the Goonies. Who who doesn't love a story with buried treasure in it, right? Right? The idea of being told about a treasure and then being given a map for how to find that treasure, that's a thrilling idea. We all love that idea. In fact, I'm pretty sure that all of us are secretly hoping that somewhere up in our attic, under a dusty floorboard somewhere, is a box with a letter from our grandfather written personally to us, explaining that if we follow the enclosed map, we will find a treasure that will change our lives forever. If that was to happen, ultimately, the excitement of that moment would be the promise of the buried treasure itself. But in addition to the buried treasure, our excitement would also be in that we have been given a map for how to obtain that treasure. 
that map would be extremely valuable to us, right? People have killed over treasure maps before, even though they are written on mere paper, because what that map represents is so important, and so we hold fast to it. We study that map. We follow that map. Church, the same is to be true with the treasure of greatest value, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, talks about our heavenly calling. The writer of Hebrews is, is pointing us forward to the treasure which is our heavenly calling. Friends, we, we are currently living in a fallen and in a broken and painful and lonely world. And the writer of Hebrews is, is very intentional now to lift our eyes out of our painful circumstances and to point us to the hope of heaven. Even as it says in chapter 12, to the kingdom that cannot be shaken. This world is shaken, isn't it? This world is broken. But there is a day coming when all of God's people will enter into the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And friends, at the center of that kingdom is King Jesus. He and his kingdom, which cannot be shaken, they are the treasure of greatest value. This is what we are looking for. This is what we are longing for together. Now, there's obviously a lot of hope in that. We have a heavenly calling upon our lives. That, that final day is coming, and we can look forward to it with joy and confidence. But it might also be a little discouraging to think about how it feels so far in the future. We might know that it's coming, but how are we going to get there? How are we going to find that ultimate treasure? How do we know that we will walk faithfully with the Lord until that day comes? Well, this seeming uncertainty might tempt us to be discouraged except for the fact that we have been given a treasure map. We have been given very clear directions, a map that guarantees that we will ultimately find and rejoice in the treasure of that final day. Friends, as a local church family here in Newark, Delaware, we have been given a map for how to live the Christian life. We, we have been saved by God's great grace through the gospel of his son, Jesus. And by that same grace, through that same gospel, he has also given the exact map that we need to follow in order to persevere until the final day. And church, just like we would cling to that treasure map from our grandfather, just as we would consider it as extremely valuable, so too we are to consider the map of the church as invaluable to our souls and to our families and to our community experience as well. Why? Well, because it is the way through which God promises to keep us secure in him until we reach the ultimate treasure of his grace in heaven. Friends, here's the main idea for our message this morning. The supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him, to fellowship with his people, and to proclaim our hope in him until we see him face to face. And for our outline today, we're just going to take that main idea and we're going to break it into three parts. Point number one, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Point number two, we are called to fellowship with his people. And point number three, we are called to proclaim our hope in him. 
begin with the first. Point number one, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Friends, Hebrews chapter 3 is a warning passage. It, it warns us to not fall short of the treasure which is heaven before us. Look, look at verse 6. The writer encourages us by telling us that we as the church are the very house, the very dwelling place of God. That, that's good news for us. But then look at the very next word. Verse 6, it says, And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. If. Well, that doesn't sound very confident. That doesn't sound very reformed this morning. Don't we believe in a sovereign God? Don't we believe in gospel assurance? Don't we believe in the perseverance of the saints and that once you are saved by God's grace, you will always be saved by God's grace? Why does he say if? Why does in verse 12 he continue to warn us by telling us not to fall away from the living God? Friends, I thought that we were secure. Aren't we citizens of a heavenly kingdom like we sung earlier? Do we have the treasure of Christ or not? Are we secure in our faith or are we in danger of losing it? Can we have assurance or not? Well, friends, these are obviously very big questions. Should we have peace in our salvation or should we be concerned? And the writer of Hebrews intentionally makes us ask these questions. He makes us ask these questions so that he can go on to remind us of how God's grace has made us secure. And here is how he does it. In verses 1 to 6, the writer speaks about our confidence in Jesus. He says yet again to us this morning, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is even greater than Moses. Moses, who was the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament, the writer of Hebrews says that, that in comparison to Jesus, Moses is almost nothing. He's just a servant in the house, while Jesus is the very son of the house. He's saying it's all about Jesus, and so we are, as it says in verse 1, to consider this Jesus, to think about this Jesus, to fix our eyes upon this Jesus, but, but we are not just to consider Jesus in a very generic and abstract way. No, we are to think about Jesus very intentionally. Did you notice how verse 1 begins with the word, therefore? That word, therefore, means that we should consider what comes immediately before verse 1. And so if you look up in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, you see what is really one of the most beautiful articulations of the gospel in all of the New Testament. Verse 14 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. That, that's us. We, share, we have flesh and blood. We are human beings. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things. He became human like us. He took on a body. Why? That through death, Death on a cross, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The writer of Hebrews is wanting to build our confidence this morning by telling us about the gospel. Jesus died in our place. Verse 18 says that he was our propitiation that he destroyed the power of death in our lives. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, he tells us because of this, we have a heavenly calling upon our lives. 
Because of what Jesus has done, church, we're going to heaven. We're going to find the ultimate treasure. We are going there. Chapter 2, verse 14 says that Jesus has destroyed the power of death and that he has delivered us. That doesn't sound uncertain at all, does it? That doesn't sound precarious or worrisome. No, that sounds absolutely certain and definitive. We have been delivered from the power of Satan and the power of death, and we now have a heavenly calling upon our lives. But then why the word if? Why the warning passage? If Jesus has already done all of this for us and our future in heaven is certain, why the word if? Well, we learn why by considering the people of Israel from the Old Testament. See, in verses 7 to 11, the writer talks about the people of Israel who, because of their forgetful unbelief before God, ultimately failed to enter into the promised land. Do you remember that story from the book of Exodus? After being miraculously delivered from Egypt, bondage and slavery in Egypt, the Israelites then forgot God's goodness and power, and they doubted that he could sustain them through the wilderness. And because of their doubt, it says in verse 11, God said to them, you shall not enter my rest. And so the generation of Israelites who God delivered from Egypt ultimately died and their bodies decayed in the wilderness. They did not enter the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews shares this very sobering history with us to encourage us to not be like the Israelites in the wilderness. They ultimately forgot how God had delivered them from Egypt and it caused them to doubt and to fall into unbelief. And so the point of this warning passage is to say to us, don't forget the powerful redemption of your God. The, the Israelites forgot that God had delivered them from Egypt, and they fell. Church, don't forget. And so, church, let's not make the same mistake as the Israelites by forgetting who has delivered us. The way that we persevere now, the way that we find the treasure of the kingdom that cannot be shaken is to know and to never stop knowing or never stop remembering what God has done for us through the gospel to never stop marveling at his goodness and his grace, to never stop rejoicing in his mercy and in his love towards his people. So the point of this text is to remind us to remember Jesus. But the point of Hebrews beyond just this passage is also wonderfully to remind us of how God will not allow us to forget. Good news, we are not like the Israelites. We are in some ways because our hearts tend to grow hard just like theirs did, but God has done something greater for us through Jesus. Listen to Hebrews chapter 8. God says, I will establish a new covenant, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For this is the covenant that I will make with them. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. He's established a new covenant. And now church, through this new covenant, he has given us his Holy Spirit to reside within us. 
We're not just trying to to remember his redemptive power in our own strength. No, his spirit has regenerated our hearts and written these truths on our hearts and in our minds. In fact, his spirit now dwells within us and scripture says that he is the seal and the guarantee of our salvation. And so unlike the Israelites who forgot his saving power and who fell away, we will never forget if we are truly saved because he has given us new hearts and the Holy Spirit is now actively at work within us to help us to remember. He's reminding us every day. And so, church, this this kingdom that we're living in right now, it, it might shake. It actually might shake a lot. It might actually crumble to pieces like it feels like it is right now in our day. There there might be many distractions away from Jesus, but the Holy Spirit will enable us, his word says, to consider. The Spirit will help us to remember the greatest event in history, which is the gospel. The Holy Spirit will help us to fix our eyes on King Jesus so that we will not fall away, so that we will remain secure and persevere. See, keeping our eyes on Jesus is God's intended way to give us gospel assurance. And he didn't want to rely only on our strength to do that. So he gave us the third person of the Trinity, the spirit to reside within us, to enable us to do that, thereby guaranteeing that we will persevere. What good news. The writer of Hebrews is telling us, friends, if you struggle with doubt in your life, and I know many do, if you struggle with assurance, The best thing that we can do is is not to go out and find just a self-help book to try to improve our existence. We don't need to listen to that new podcast that our friend told us about. No, the best thing we can do for our doubting and for our wandering souls is to allow the Holy Spirit to, to refocus our attention on Jesus. Because when we consider him and his grace through his word, we will know again for sure the security that we have in him. We will read chapters like Romans chapter 8, which says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will read Hebrews chapter 12, which says, we are citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But maybe, maybe that doesn't help you at all this morning. Maybe you are feeling particularly dry and you do not feel the presence of the Spirit. Maybe you fear whether you're going to stop looking at Jesus and maybe his Spirit has left you. What then? Will we lose the treasure that is before us? Friends, that brings us to our second point and to the treasure map that God has given to us to follow. Point number two, we are called to fellowship with his people. Not only has God redeemed us through his son. Not only has he given us his Holy Spirit who has regenerated our hearts, making us alive together with Christ and who is now living within us, he's also given us the gift of fellowship, the gift of the church, which is part of God's grace, part of how God intends to lead us forward towards our heavenly calling. The church, God's people, fellowship is part of our God-given treasure map. Fellowship with each other is an essential clue for us on the hunt towards the ultimate treasure. Look at verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's a warning. He says, take care, be on guard. But how? How are we to be on guard? Look at verse 13. 
He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that no one may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ. This is God's answer to our forgetful and doubting hearts and minds. He's given us his spirit and he's given us each other. Friends, we are not saved by God's grace individually. No, we are saved together as a church. Notice how in verse 1 and in verse 12, he speaks about brothers in the plural, brothers and sisters together. Notice also the word share in verse 1 and in verse 14. We have come to share in Christ together. This is something that we experience together as a group. Friends, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 is an absolutely foundational text for the church and for our experience of fellowship and for our call to love one another well. The the writer of Hebrews says that you and I are actually a means of God's grace, one for each other by the gospel through which we will remember Jesus together. We're, We're fruit of the gospel in each other's lives. He says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. He's saying, until the final day, until we get to that day, to heaven, one of God's primary ways of keeping us secure in his grace is by having us benefit from the gift of his people, from friendship in Christ, from partnership in the gospel, from fellowship, and from exhortation. And so, Redeemer Fellowship, let us fellowship together. Amen? Let's exhort one another every day. Christian, listen, you need a local church family to be a part of. You need a body of believers who you remember Jesus together with. You need this. This is why loving one another is one of our four values. We must be committed to to living out the Christian life together, side by side, day after day. to to pray for each other, to bear each other's burdens, to help each other through the difficulties of life, to remind each other when we forget of the, the hope and the confidence that we have in Jesus. This is why we love fellowship groups. Fellowship groups are absolutely central to who we are as a church family. They they are really part of our DNA at Redeemer Fellowship. Biblically speaking, I don't think a healthy church can experience what God has for them just by attending on Sunday mornings. No, God intends for us to be involved in each other's lives and to exhort and encourage one another throughout all of life. This is why we we strongly encourage all of our members and all of our non-members who are attending regularly to attend a fellowship group as well. Quite honestly, we're not okay with a growing church that only attends on Sunday mornings. We're not. As a pastor, I honestly have no interest in leading that kind of church. Why? Because that is a church that is ignoring a foundational gift from God to strengthen and encourage his people. It's actually a disobedient church to some of God's commands. Fellowship is so important. And and from, from this text in particular, from other parts of the New Testament as well, we believe that the biblical fellowship has some very clear character traits. Biblical fellowship, according to God's design, is fellowship that will help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's, it's not just hanging out together as Christian friends. That's not bad. That should happen too. But, but it must be more than that according to God's word. 
I think that from within this text, there are three traits that I want to point out here. Uh, And I'm actually going to use pretty strong language because I think it will help us to consider the, the actual text and the importance of this together. Three traits of biblical fellowship from this text. Number one, biblical fellowship is constant fellowship. It's constant. Did you notice how it says, exhort one another every day? Chapter 10 says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's it's not once a week. It's not just occasional. It's every day. Biblical fellowship requires finding frequency in each other's lives. Sunday mornings are simply not enough. We need to be together on the norm. Once a week or two to three times a week for fellowship group isn't even really enough, but it's a good starting point. We We can move on from there, so let's prioritize at least that together. Biblical fellowship should be regular. It should be daily in one form or another. You know, let me talk to some of our college students here today. If you are a college student joining us, thank you for being here. If you are a returning student from last year, thank you for coming back. If you're a new student, welcome. We thank God for you and are glad to have you. But let me encourage you. You, you, can't, find, you can't survive your college years as a Christian without the local church. God wants you to have a local church to call home. Don't, don't try to navigate your college years on your own. No, make, first of all, Sunday mornings a priority. Thank you for being here already. Find a good gospel-preaching local church, whether here at Redeemer Fellowship or somewhere else. But now listen, even more so, don't limit your fellowship to Sunday mornings. Your fellowship needs to be more constant than that. If you're going to thrive in college in the Lord, and and this is one of the reasons why we are so grateful and that we love the crew ministry so much, because they provide a context and relationships right on campus so that you don't have to be around Christians only on Sunday mornings and then not at all throughout the rest of the week. No, because of the blessing of crew, you are able to fellowship with other people on the norm, on a daily basis. And so we encourage you, jump into that with all your energy and benefit from it from the get-go of your college career. And that applies to all of us in one form or another. Biblical fellowship is to be regular, is to be constant in our lives. Number two, biblical fellowship, this might take some of you back, is to be aggressive fellowship. It's to be aggressive. That that might seem like a strange word to use, but I think it's accurate to the feeling of this text. He says, exhort one another every day. In chapter 10, he says, to stir one another up to love and good works. Those words, exhort and stir up, those are not gentle words to use. You know, this past week, I I painted two rooms in our house with Ashley. I'm not a huge fan of painting. I'm not very good at painting, but it needed to get done, and so we got the job done. But one of the things that is important when you paint is to keep the paint fresh, right? You can't just leave a can of paint out without its cover on it, or else the, the paint is going to dry up and not be useful at all. And I actually did that, and I thought that I had ruined some of the paint at first, but then I went over and I got a paint stirrer, and I, I stirred it up, and I actually put the cover on it and shook it like this, and it actually made the paint effective again. It wasn't, it wasn't ruined. Or think about when you were a kid and you played with Play-Doh, right? If you left that Play-Doh on the table for too long, it would begin to get crusty, wouldn't it? But if you didn't wait too long and you picked it back up and started to knead it again, you could make it fresh again. Church, that is what the writer of Hebrews is saying our fellowship should be like. 
Because, according to verse 13, our hearts have a tendency to deceive themselves because of our sin. They have a tendency to grow hard and to grow forgetful towards God and towards the gospel. And so we need to exhort one another. We need to stir one another up. We need to, at times, shake each other in order to help us to remember the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. We need to encourage one another all the more. We need to be in each other's lives. We, we need to challenge and encourage We need to humbly confess our sin to each other, and we need at times to humbly and courageously call out other people's sin when we see it. We also need to be aggressive in our encouragement of each other, reminding each other of the hope that we have in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need this in my life. Please be this for me in my life, and I will, by God's grace, be it for you as well. It's to be aggressive fellowship. Number three, biblical fellowship is Christ-centered fellowship. Redeemer Fellowship, listen. Community, fellowship over the long haul is hard. God has sustained us for three years now and we give him all the praise and all of the glory, but having a healthy church community that thrives in the Lord and in the gospel can be very, very difficult as years begin to go by. It's hard Because we often all have different personalities and we all have different visions for what we want community and fellowship to be, right? Some of us want fellowship group just to be game night every time we get together. Some of us want fellowship group and church to be all about just reading and studying God's word. That's all that we should do. Some of us want fellowship group and church to be all about community service, Some of us want fellowship group and church to be all about confessing sin and being involved in each other's lives and praying together. Some of us want fellowship group to be all about evangelism or current events or politics. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic work on what biblical church community should be all about, he says that as long as we are all individually fighting for our own flavor of fellowship, what we think fellowship should look like, as long as we each do that, it will destroy fellowship and community for everybody. Because we all move in other directions. We all have what we desire. But church, if we all want our fellowship to be around considering and delighting in Jesus more and more, well, then we are all going to be conformed more into the image of Christ. And as we are, we will draw closer and closer together. And we will experience unity, not just for three years, but for many years together by God's grace. We must be Christ-centered above everything else. Christians, we need other Christians in our lives. And so, Redeemer Fellowship, can I encourage you, can I pastorally exhort you and challenge you this morning to make a big deal about fellowship? Can I, can I charge you to, to make a big deal here at Redeemer Fellowship, at least, about, uh, about fellowship groups gathering together either on Tuesday or Thursday nights? Why? Because that, that's where we have real conversations. It's where we sing and pray and discuss truth. It's where we bear each other's burdens. It's where we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness from each other. Every one of us needs this sort of fellowship in our lives. And so let me just say, if, if over the last 18 months you have lessened your vision for fellowship groups, if you've forgotten about them or just not pursued them as you did before or maybe have been attending on Sunday mornings but have never taken a step to get involved in one of these home groups, can I, can I exhort you? Can I challenge you this morning? Pursue this. This is an absolutely foundational way that God is going to cause us to remember Jesus and to persevere together until the day that he returns. 
We understand that there are challenges to this in our current time, but we will find ways to continue to fellowship together. We encourage you to make a priority out of it as well. The supremacy of Jesus calls us to fix our eyes on him, to fellowship with his people, and finally, this morning, point number three, we are called to proclaim our hope in him, to proclaim our hope in Jesus. This is our, our third value as a local church family. We exist to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ by delighting in Jesus, by loving one another, and by proclaiming the gospel. Now, this value, proclaiming the gospel, obviously has evangelistic implications. We are to preach Christ to those outside of our church, to the lost, to those who need to hear about him, which we will talk more about next week. But when we talk about our third value, when we, when we talk about our need to proclaim the gospel, listen, we are not first talking about evangelism. No, not at all. In fact, when we speak of proclaiming the gospel, we are talking first about our need to hear the gospel be proclaimed in our own hearts and in each other's lives all the time, again and again and again. A healthy church community, a healthy local church talks a lot about Jesus and about the gospel. A healthy friendship, a healthy group of friends, a healthy fellowship group, a healthy marriage, a healthy parent child relationship is one that is regularly proclaiming the hope of Jesus to each other. We need this. I need this. We must hear the gospel from each other's lips. We need to be told by others again and again to get out of our own heads and to remember that God loves us. He loves us and he sent his son to die for us. He's given us his spirit to reside within us and he has promised us the treasure of heaven and he has promised us everything that we need to grow in obedience and holiness before him. We need to hear this good news again and again and again. You know, both of my sons, William and Nathan, have been involved in Boy Scouts in the past. And traditionally, every Boy Scout troop has a weekly meeting or a weekly gathering. And, and when they come together for that weekly gathering, usually it is all about getting a new merit badge sewn into your uniform or into your merit badge sash. Boy Scouts are all about the badges. You need a total of, of 40 specific badges to become an Eagle Scout, but there are hundreds of badges that you can earn beyond that. And Boy Scouts is great. We've really enjoyed it and are grateful for it. But here's what I've noticed about Boy Scouts and the endless pursuit of new badges. I've noticed that once you have obtained a new merit badge, once you've carefully sewn it into your uniform or, or onto your merit badge sash, you quickly move beyond that badge and begin to work for the next one. Why? Well, because there's a whole list of badges that you want and need to get. But friends, as I think about that, as I think about the pursuit of a badge and then quickly moving on to the next badge after that, I realize how different that is from the gospel and from the Christian life. That is not how we are called to live. We do not have the badge of the gospel sewn over our hearts by God's grace and then move on to a new badge of some other kind. No, no. The, the Christian life and the life of the local church is to have the badge of the gospel sewn into our hearts deeper and deeper and deeper. 
Even when in Hebrews chapter 6 it says, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, he's not saying let us move on to a new badge of honor. No, he's saying let us allow the same badge of the gospel to go deeper and deeper into our souls. He's saying, church, don't be satisfied with just a surface understanding of the gospel. That's going to grow old and stale. No, let's be sanctified by this gospel. Let's be transformed by this gospel. Let's go on to greater and greater holiness through this gospel. The writer of Hebrews is calling us to allow the, the badge of God's grace to honestly transform everything about who we are. And so here is why our third value is to proclaim the gospel. Because church, we're not like the Boy Scouts. We're not like the Boy Scouts where one week we get the merit badge for whittling over here, and then the next week we come over here and we get the first aid merit badge. No, God intends that as we fellowship together and as we speak truth into each other's lives, as we exhort and encourage one another every day and every week, he intends that the same badge of the gospel would cover more and more of our lives and would give us greater hope and assurance and confidence to live for him in greater and greater ways. And so... God has graciously called each of us, every member of the local church, to boldly proclaim the gospel into each other's lives. You know, like, like, like a badge, God's grace at times can, can feel like it's getting old, like the, the stitching is beginning to fray and it's, it's beginning to fall off of our uniform. But now God has designed the church and every member of the church to be a means through which fresh stitching of the gospel happens in our lives. In fellowship group, fresh stitching of the gospel happens because we've forgotten in, in texting each other throughout the week, fresh stitching of the gospel can happen. When we get lunch together on Thursday, fresh stitching uh, can happen as we proclaim truth to each other. As we serve on Sunday mornings on ministry teams together, so, fresh stitching of the gospel can go deeper and deeper into our lives as we remind each other of who we are in Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Through fellowship and through active discipleship, God intends to sow this gospel into our vocations, into our careers, into our college life, through fellowship and discipleship, God intends to sow the gospel deeper into our marriages and into our parenting. He intends to sow the stitches of the gospel into our singleness and into our sexual purity. Hebrews chapter 6 says that we are to go on to maturity, that we are not to be, Hebrews chapter 5, like babies who drink on milk. No, we should be grown-ups who feast on the meat of the gospel and on God's word. Church, in order to do that, we've got to be hungry for the gospel. We need to be eager to hear the gospel. We need to be willing to speak the gospel to each other. Our, our third value of proclaiming the gospel really is about gospel discipleship. It's about evangelism too, but it really is about active discipleship. It's about pursuing maturity in Christ together, not being satisfied with just a surface experience of God's grace, but letting his gospel transform every area of who we are. And so let me encourage you, Redeemer Fellowship, be hungry for the Lord. Want more of Jesus and share more of Jesus with each other. Study his word for your own soul, and so that you have something to give to those around you. When you're at the park with your kids or when you're on a car ride with a coworker, pray for boldness and courage to bring Jesus up in conversations more and more all the time. 
Find resources that can help you to grow as disciples. Oh, that God would continue to allow Redeemer Fellowship to both multiply and mature disciples here at Redeemer Fellowship. That we would, by His grace, grow strong in Him together. Let, let me encourage you, because we gave you those cards on your way in. If you didn't get one, you can get one on your way out. Let me encourage you to consider who you are being discipled by. It doesn't even have to be one individual person, but is there a group or is there a person who, who you know is investing into your life and who you are benefiting from? Let me also encourage you to consider who you are actively discipling. Who in your life needs you to say, hey, can we get together and read God's word and pray and talk about the gospel every once in a while? Also be thinking about who outside of the church you can be reaching as well, which we're gonna talk about next week. Let me also say that, that as a church family, uh, we are very eager as we continue to grow and as we continue to move forward to get back to some of our study hall classes, our discipleship courses. Uh, we want to grow in God's word together. And so as a leadership team, we've asked Sean Smith to be actively thinking about new classes to offer to us as a church family. Uh, classes on how to study God's Word together, how to use that book that we're giving you today. That course is going to come up in October. I encourage you to register to, for that and to benefit from that, from that. We're also going to have classes on godly communication. How does the gospel affect our words? We're going to have parenting classes and what the gospel says about godly parenting and discipline. We're going to have marriage classes. How does the gospel transform our relationship with our spouse? classes on vocation, even classes on, on public speaking and leadership in and outside of the church. We, we want to be a church family that is always allowing the truth of the gospel to be sown deeper and deeper into our hearts, changing more and more of our lives. So let us be a church that proclaims the gospel to each other week after week, day after day. Friends, treasure is only valuable if we're able to find it. How good of God to not just tell us about the treasure and then to leave us to find it on our own. How kind of God to give us his son and his spirit and his church, all of which give us a guide and a map so that we might find that ultimate treasure, which is King Jesus and his kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? Amen. Friends, as we close, I'm going to invite the band to come up at this time, and I'm also going to invite Joel Wilkins up. Uh, we are having different people share their testimony each week throughout this short sermon series. And so Joelle is going to come and going to share with us about her experience of fellowship here at Redeemer Fellowship. Come all the way up. Yeah. Good morning. I grew up in a home filled with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and I got saved at a young age. However, before coming to Redeemer Fellowship Church, I was living a very sinful life filled with pain. Last year on May 8th, 2020, I had tried to commit suicide and was hospitalized for seven days. I was told by many doctors I was lucky to be alive. I had decided after hearing that that it was going to be my mission to devote my life in greater ways to Christ and find my purpose. Two weeks after getting discharged, I found out I was pregnant. As a single mom, you can probably imagine the disbelief, the fear, anxiety, and shame that I had felt during this time. My mother at the time was attending Redeemer and asked me every Sunday to attend church. I refused for I was ashamed and afraid of what the church might think of me. However, one Sunday I decided to go. 
It was a church's second anniversary picnic. I was amazed by the hospitality and love people showed me that day. I was still hesitant to tell people my big secret. It wasn't until Pastor Joel invited me into his fellowship group and I decided to trust God that night and go to the group. I remember telling my group that I was pregnant and the amount of grace that was given to me that night, I'll never forget. As the months went on, I began opening up more to them, getting to know each person individually. I found the courage to ask my group, ask my prayers in my group, as well as the willingness to pray for them through their difficult times. I've always had a heart to help others, and being a part of a fellowship group, there's always ways to help serve. I have had the opportunity to help out and encourage other moms, lend a hand when I can, and provide meals for families. Then my daughter was born, and the world shone a little bit brighter, and I found a new and wonderful purpose that God had for me. But after having Lily, I needed all the help I could get, and my fellowship group came to the rescue. They provided meals, clothes, and prayers. While I was still in school, women from my group offered and took my daughter for a couple hours so I could study. I even received tutoring from someone in my group. My fellowship group is filled with love, jokes, laughter, and an abundance of grace for one another. Every Tuesday night, the room is filled with kids running around, playing with one another. It is a safe haven for both my daughter and I to grow up in. I have people I can run to for spiritual guidance, and it's a group that will never judge you, a group that truly loves Jesus and the gospel. They will walk with you no matter what journey you are on and always lead you right back to Jesus. My fellowship group encourages and loves me through my darkest times just like Jesus does. I have struggled my whole life with feeling like I never belonged anywhere. Here at Redeemer, I feel like I finally belong. Thank you.